Today's reading is Genesis 4, uh, verses 17 to 26. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mehuel, and Mehuel was the father of Methuel, and Methuel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Adar and the other Zillah. Adar gave, gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who pay, played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal-Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal-Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of God. Let me lead us in prayer together. Father, when we come to a passage, a story, an account such, like, as, such as this in your word, we're struck by the honesty, the realism of the scriptures, how consistently you describe the truth of our world, of our hearts. So Father, help us be honest with ourselves this morning and help us call out upon your name, we pray. Amen. Uh, now, Dickie kindly passed, Simon Dixon kindly passed me an article this week. It was perfect for uh, uh, Genesis chapter 4. It was by Stephen Fry, and it was a little article he wrote, very witty, very funny, um, when he stopped using Twitter. 12 million users, he ha- not users, followers he had on Twitter, and uh, enormously popular because he's a funny man, consistently so, uh, and yet he got fed up. So he wrote this little article, uh, and he gave it the title, Too Many People Have Peed in the Pool. It's all very funny, you can read it, but uh, let me just give you an extract. Oh goodness, what fun Twitter was in the early days. A secret bathing pool in a secluded glade in an enchanted forest. We frolicked, we splashed, we water-bombed in the water, we chatted and laughed and we put the world to rights and shared thoughts, sacred, silly and profane. But now the pool is stagnant. It's frothy with scum, clogged with weeds and littered with broken glass, sharp rocks and slimy rubbish. Too many people have peed in our pool and it's not very nice anymore. And there is Genesis chapter 4, in many ways. Here is a wonderful world, and mankind capable of extraordinary genius. So look at the, 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 the origins of, or not the origins, but uh, agriculture, culture, technology, all these things are growing at extraordinary rates. Uh, and yet it's ruined. It's ruined. 
Mankind can make a swimming pool, lovely, but if people pee in it, not so nice. Not so nice to spend time there. Mankind can make extraordinary things, extraordinary engines and cars that fly around the track at Melbourne at 230 miles an hour. Extraordinary thing to watch, and cars which, well, knock people down on Westminster Bridge. Now, if you are joining us today, well, it's old one, Genesis chapter 4, the last half. But as I say, we spent the last, what, three months uh, going at an extraordinary pace through Genesis uh, chapters 1 to 4. And it's the origins of life. And it's the explanation of why the world is as it is. And there's brilliance and there's wonder and there's extraordinary pleasure in the first two chapters. And then chapters 3 and 4, well, it describes the entry of evil into the world. And really, it's it's one big section from chapter 2, verse 4, all the way through to chapter 5, verse 1. You get these little headings, this is the account of, this is the account of. So chapter 5, verse 1, this is the written account of. And that's like the chapter headings originally in the Hebrew. So the whole of this section, chapters second half of 2, 3, and 4, It is an explanation of why the world is as it is. But not to despair. Because God does inject hope. Even in our passage today. Genesis 3 really is the entry of evil into the world. Genesis 4, it's downward spiral. If you were here last time, the first half of chapter 4, uh, we looked at Cain then, the first human born, naturally, and the first murderer. How's he doing? Well, that's all the second half, he and his ancestors in chapter 4. Look, I just want to look at it this way, uh, the, the progress of humanity, the corruption of humanity, and then thirdly, the hope of humanity. Okay, Progress, corruption, hope. So that's an encouraging little outline. It's good, it's bad, it's good. So that's just for your encouragement uh, when we're stuck in the middle here. Okay, The progress, the corruption, the hope of humanity. First then, the bulk of it in many ways of this passage is verses 17 to 22, the progress of humanity. Chapter 4, verse 17. Cain made love to his wife. She became pregnant, gave birth to Enoch. Here we go again, just like in chapter 4, verse 1. It's another fresh start. Off we go again. And what does Cain do? Well, Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son, Enoch. Well, that's quite nice to have a, a city named after you. I'm not sure many here do. Uh, in, um, I just did a quick check just to make certain, uh, in honor of uh, Hazel. Uh, I, I googled in that mighty uh, industry, uh, impressive engine, engine um, city of Lang, no results. Town of Lang, no results. Village of Lang, one result. Ooh. Uh, in the obscure wastelands of Canada. There is, a, I shouldn't say that, a rural Canada, um, population almost 200, they describe, it's got a website, the village of Lang, almost 200, come on, come on. you know, someone, get ready, come on, get, get us over that limit, almost 200, you have to travel something like uh, 14 miles for the nearest school, but um, there it is. But even in Genesis chapter 4, when it talks about city, it's a pretty strong word, it just means settlement, so you're not thinking big city, you're thinking city of Lang. Village of Lang, a few. You get the um, the challenge of reading names. Well done, Kate, again in verse four. But really, of course, the emphasis is going to fall upon Lamech and his children. So, verse nineteen, he gets all the airtime. Uh, Lamech married two women. Come back to that. 
Ada and Zilla. But look at the kids. Here are kids worth boasting about. This is a pretty impressive family. So you've got Jabel, the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. Farmers, charge your glasses and raise a toast to Jabel. He's the father of all agriculture. He's got his brother Jubal, the father of all who play instruments, stringed instruments, pipes, very exciting again. Crack open your wine and raise a glass to Jubal, you musicians. You owe it all to him. And then, of course, the third of the sons, Tubal Cain. Well, he forges all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Surely the department of metallurgy just down the road at Imperial College should have a, process- a professorship of Tubal Cain. He's the father of such things. What a family. And then you've got verse, end of verse 23, Tubal Cain's sister, Nama. Tough gig growing up in this family. No credits to her name. But um, there we go. Probably quite a pressure growing up with those sort of pioneers in the family. And this is quite a list of, a list of achievements from Lamech's kids. I mean, well, so look at the progress, how far we've come since then. I take it the farmer, Jabel, would marvel now at the sort of industrial fields of crops that can grow and how quickly a combine harvester can gather them in. Extraordinary. Presumably, um, a Jubal would uh, be pretty stunned by the sight of a full orchestra and the crowds that would gather at the proms or a pop concert and the tens of thousands that would gather in whatever it is, Wembley Stadium. Amazing. And that all came from my old pipe. Amazing the progress that's made. The metals. I don't know what Tubal Cain was making. You, the uh, archaeologists will tell us from, yes, around about this time, you do get the first primitive uh, tools. But what would he make of, of metals in a microprocessor? How phenomenal mankind is in its creativity. What would you have as mankind's greatest achievements? Well, inevitably, there was a poll done along those lines uh, a few years ago, and uh, here they are. Do you want to know what they are? Very good. The, um, uh, I'll count you down to maintain a sort of uh, pathetic sense of excitement, but uh, we may even have them. Oh, there we go. Uh, so at number 10, uh, the first flight by the Wright brothers. That was very impressive, entering the skies for the first time. Verse 9, the works of Shakespeare. Six, eight, the construction of the pyramids. Seven, Mona Lisa by da Vinci. Six, Schubert's Ave Maria. But all, I, I'm no expert, but I thought that was Bach. But anyway, I got a bit confused at that point, and then the internet confused me even further. Anyway, I'll leave that. Whoever, whoever uh, composed that, they're brilliant. Uh, no one's quite sure who it is. But either of them, they're both great anyway, so we'll just let it be. Um, well, let's, let's count down a bit further. Oh, there we go. Number five, the moon landing. Extraordinary to do that. Four, the development of modern vaccines. Three, climbing Mount Everest, I guess a sense of adventure. Two, domesticating fire, I guess that's pretty significant in the development of man. And number one, quirky, I don't know if you'd have put that in there. An achievement, well it's a good document. How many countries subscribe to it, do you know? How many of those who subscribe keep it, do you know? A bit awkward anyway. Not the rest of them are great, aren't they? The rest of them are great. What extraordinary... And if you look at the, the, the greatest achievements of mankind, it is a real mix, isn't it, of, of the cultural, the paintings, the, the music, the technological, the conquering of our environments. 
topping Everest, etc., etc. Mankind is extraordinary. What we have done in this world is phenomenal. And we shouldn't be that surprised when you read Genesis, because we're made in God's image to, well, to go out and master this world. How extraordinary. What a privilege to live in the 21st century and see the progress that mankind has made. It is phenomenal, the progress of humanity, and worth celebrating and enjoying. (laughs) Much rather be in the 21st century when something goes wrong medically than the 15th century, I think. How wonderful the progress is. But then alongside that, or even surrounding it, secondly, you get the corruption of humanity. Really, verse 19 and then verses 23 to 24, sort of surrounding the genius, you get Lamech. I don't know if the kids were there saying, Dad, but um, he wasn't a great father. So verse 19, we're told Lamech married two women. Oops. Well, I mean, Genesis chapter 2 has said one man and one wife in union forever. Oops. Now, the editor here doesn't say, brackets, and that's bad, but we should know that already. We've been told in chapter 2, you don't do that. And throughout the book of Genesis, bigamy goes very badly. So that's not so clever. And then verses 23 to 24, you get this horrible poem. It's the second poem in the book of Genesis. Chapter 2, Adam meets his wife Eve for the first time and has a, a love poem, a sonnet. This is, of course, more of a war song. Verse 23, Lamech said to his wives, Adder and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Ugh. Well done. You've killed a, a young man. Good for you. You beat up a teenager and killed him. Well done. It's the sort of thing you dread, this man, isn't it? In the street, you sort of accidentally bump into someone. And all of a sudden, they, they, they come back with ridiculous uh, aggression. What's your problem? Why'd you do that to me? Well, that's Lamech. Needlessly aggressive. And here you see, I guess the point is, humanity is spiraling down. If you were here last time... Cain, yeah, he he succumbs to sin, but Lamech exalts in it, delights in it. Cain said, can you protect me, Lord? Here, Lamech seeks provocation. He's looking for a fight. He'll take on anyone. He wants you to know that he's Mr. Big in town. Hmm. Even his kids, I think we're meant to see there's a little hint already in that their technology is going to go wrong. You've got the three children, Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal Cain. What's the problem with Tubal Cain? Why does he get the double-barreled name? Is he nouveau riche? He wants to sort of, uh, you know, not, not enough. He wants to sort of social climb in the world. What's wrong with Jabel, Jubal, and Tubal? Kind of works. Uh, has a little rhythm to it. Do you like your poems, Lamech? That would have been fun. Why Tubal Cain? I think we're meant to see straight away, here's a man whose brilliance is going to be corrupted by aggression, like Cain. 
I think we're meant to see that. So you have Lamech's family, brilliant family, capable of all sorts of genius, culture, agriculture, technology, but framed by brutality and violence. And there is humanity. Brilliant. Quite breathtakingly brilliant in what we can achieve. And yet so prone to apply that brilliance destructively, violently. So, of course, you don't need me to tell you, but you get in the 19th century, a phenomenal industrial revolution. Metals are manipulated like never before. Railways cover the world. It's a phenomenal era. Uh, and then well, and then you get the war to end all wars, where munitions can be manufactured at a rate which is just unprecedented and used on soldiers and on civilians. And you get fantastic developments in drugs throughout this century. Life-saving drugs, how wonderful. Vaccinations and, and drugs which can save us, and alongside them drugs which kill thousands every day through their addictive properties, encouraging people to violence and crime to pay for their habits. Well, both are true, of course. You have the technology now. Not, we've gone a bit beyond the Wright brothers. We can build extraordinary jetliners that can be used to crash into towers to kill thousands of people. Oh, we're capable of extraordinary brilliance, and yet... Do you remember the Oppenheimer quote? The Robert Oppenheimer, of course, uh, after the bombs had been dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, quoted, bizarrely, the Bhagavad Gita. Do you remember this? His quote. If the radiance of a thousand suns were to burst at once into the sky, that would be like the splendor of the mighty one. I have become death, the shatterer of worlds. Of course, we can read these truths or observe these truths in our culture and think, yeah, yeah, that's bad, isn't it? Fortunately, it is only a minority. Uh, it's only a few people that pee in the pool. Most people uh, behave quite well. Uh, and most people, no, it's not the whole of humanity is committing evil. Of course not. Of course not. Most of us are not that. Although, I don't think Oppenheimer was a bad man. He just produced something that was capable of extraordinary evil. And there is essentially have a collective responsibility for how this world operates. There was something in the paper last week I've never heard of, Janine de Giovanni, but uh, she writes for Newsweek. She's won all sorts of awards as a journalist for Newsweek. She was reporting from Aleppo. Today I feel like a complete failure. 25 years of reporting war crimes has added up to nothing. We said, never again. What's happened? We keep saying, never again. And it happens. Technological progress, extraordinary in humanity. Moral progress, Tricky that. Hmm. Capable of both. How are we doing ethically? I mean, one says humanity is doing quite well ethically, isn't it? 
We have all sorts of chairs of ethics. You know the Princeton chair of ethics? He's a slightly controversial man who appointed a few years ago, Peter Singer, uh, I guess the Australian. They're most famous for uh, uh, saying that human rights are more important than, uh, uh, excuse me, animal rights are more important than human rights. He likes to be controversial. But of course, one of the things he's well known for is the insistence that every child, after the birth of every child, you'd have a window of a month where parents should legitimately be able to terminate the life. Every child. Just, just see how we feel. See if there are any defects. Every child. He's the chair of ethics at Princeton University because that's moral progress. Oh, we're capable of both, aren't we? Brilliance, humanity, and horror. And if, uh, if you've when you go on holiday, you tend to visit such things. If you go to Germany, uh, you can visit concentration camps. This is a life. If you're a history teacher like I was, it's an interesting thing to do. You could go to Buchenwald concentration camp. Right in the center of it, there's a tree, Goethe's tree, where the German writer famously wrote Faust, sat underneath the tree and other brilliant works. You know, one of the, the you know, their Shakespeare in one sense, I guess culturally, could you argue that? Was certainly one of the most brilliant of German writers who composed under that tree. And on that tree, in that camp as it became, they hanged people in the death camp. Brilliance, horror, side by side. That's humanity, isn't it? Well, enough. That's a bit gloomy, isn't it? So let's not talk about that anymore. That's humanity. Uh, but humanity's sort of out there, isn't it? So that's okay. Uh, you and me, we're fine. Because we're all right. And we are all fine. Uh, there was research that came out last week that tells us that. Did you see that? Uh, Goldsmiths University produced this terrific bit of research. Uh, 98% of the population of the UK believe themselves to be extremely nice. <laughs> 98% of the population put themselves in the top 50% of the nicest people in the UK. Let me just... Yeah, you heard that right. 98% think they're in the top half. Now, you, don't, you can be bad at maths and still see that doesn't work. You can't have almost 100% in the top 50%. And this causes much mirth and hilarity. Well, of course it does. Uh, of course, the, the questions that would get asked, why do you think this? And the classic answers were, well, I, I give directions to strangers in the streets. I, I, uh, I, I did once give up a seat on public transports to a heavily pregnant lady. One six, only one in six ever gave money to any charity. One in four gave blood. Two out of three said they would never offer to carry anything to someone else and so on. So, but the point is, we're a deluded population. <laughs> Almost the entire population thinks they're in the top half for niceness. Because we delude ourselves all the time. We are not as nice as we think we are. I don't, don't mean to presume, but I'm aware of how things operate. I, I don't doubt that uh, Jono and Joliet thought they were both very nice. Uh, and then Hazel arrives and they realize maybe we're a little more selfish than we realized. Because that's what happens when you have the child in the house. Selfishness gets a little bit revealed. Because there is a corruption in all of us. Now, we may be fairly polite. We may be quite good at hiding it often. But there is a 
corruption in all of us. There's a selfishness in all of us, a capacity for evil. Uh, That's why we can have one conversation which is sweetness and light and five minutes later rage at someone else. We can do that. That's how we can be delightful at home with the family, but obnoxious at work and ruthless, or vice versa. Others manage to be entirely civil to their colleagues, but pretty awful to their spouses. Because we're both capable of genius and horror. And we may wonder this week how a 52-year-old man born and raised in Kent can be radicalised in prison and launch an attack in Westminster claiming lives. But if my heart or yours was planted in the same soil that his was, had the same experiences, exposed to the same ideology when we were weak, would we have done different? That's why it's unsettling when it's a Brit born in Kent who commits crimes such as that. Humanity is capable of brilliance. Oh, I'm wickedness. We can all pee in the pool. It's the progress of humanity. It's wonderful. The corruption of humanity, we managed to ruin lots of things. But even in this passage, there's the hint of the hope. The hope of humanity, just in these last couple of verses, verses 25 to 26. Adam made love to his wife again. Uh, This is Adam, note. Back to Adam. Uh, Of the other families, Abel has been killed. Cain has produced a murderous family. So we're back to Adam and Eve, and they have a third child. Seth. Adam made love to his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son. He named him Enosh, and on goes the line. So God graciously allows humanity to reset a little bit. It's not a complete blank slate, not completely start over, but there's a reset. In this very bleak chapter, really, hope starts with him. And so we get this, verse 26, we're told, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Lord, capital letters. It's not just a God, it's it's the biblical name, Yahweh. They're calling upon the Lord for the first time here in Genesis. And for you and for me, by the 21st century, What hope comes when you call upon the name of the Lord? The Lord Jesus Christ. Hope that, well, he's come to die for our selfishness, our sins. Oh, there's light and dark in all of us. Maybe not as dark as many, and I hope not. But there's still light and dark in all of us. He's come to pay for our sins. And more than that, he's come to send his spirit to transform when you become a Christian. So there can be extraordinary change within your heart. You call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and there's hope for forgiveness and and hope to change. Very wonderful. So let me finish with telling you, um, some will know this story, but a story of another man radicalised in prison, but in a very different way to Khaled Massoud. Uh, uh, Next month, no, no, next month, May, middle of May, uh, 
we have a, a week of invitation events and dinners, uh, and we interview various people. Billy McCurry is coming on one night. I don't know if people have met him before. Billy McCurry was, uh, grew up in Northern Ireland. He was 12 years old when his father was killed by an IRA sniper in front of him. At age 12, he couldn't cope with that. Well, how can you? But was just overwhelmed with vengeance. 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 And so he joined the UVF, the um, loyalist uh, terrorist organization. At age 16, he killed his first man, a member of the IRA. He was caught, reprehended, reprehended and um, uh, uh, placed in the maze prison age 16. To his surprise, and age, whatever he is now, 50-odd, he still doesn't know who, for, for the next few months, he kept getting sent these Christian magazines from New Zealand. Is that you, Brain? No. The, uh, he has no idea, still, who sent them, these Christian magazines, and he just threw them in the bin. And they kept on coming, and so eventually he started reading them and thought, well, this is very interesting. And then the prison doctor happened to be a Christian. He got into conversation with the doctor. I don't understand this. And over a period of weeks, was brought to the point where he, well, he called upon the name of the Lord. He said, oh, Jesus, can, I, I need you to forgive me. First thing he did was ring his mother and say, Mom, I've become a Christian. It's an extraordinary thing. Uh, and I now am able to forgive those who killed Dad. And she said, I don't want to know. Now, mum, this is the most extraordinary, I don't want to know. But he kept going. And months later, she became a Christian too. And was very public in expressing her forgiveness of those who'd killed her husband. Now, that is a very, very different experience in prison from Khalid Masood. Of course it is. Because here is a man who had murdered Billy McCurry met Christ, knew forgiveness for what he'd done wrong and has now spent the remainder of his life advocating for peace. That's the radical difference calling upon the name of the Lord can make. So Genesis 4 and this bizarre account of the brilliance of Lamach's family and his horrors, it says to you and to me, Humanity is capable of wonderful things, but don't trust humanity for, for your future. Don't put all your hope there. Don't invest everything in what you can do in this world. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of Christ. Trust him. If you've never done so, trust him for the forgiveness of sins and for hope. Then for those of us who are Christians, of course, we know here is the reason that each and every morning we can go back and call upon the name of the Lord and just be honest. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to say, I'm in one of the nicest people around here. We can be honest and say, I've done things wrong and I know your forgiveness and give me grace to live today, to go again. Hope personally. And hope for humanity. Because when you see the darkness of mankind, it does make you long for a better world. Often we can hide. We're in the West. 
we can hide ourselves from the violence so very often we're not in Aleppo. But when it comes close, it makes us nervous. Then of course some get scared. And here is hope for humanity. Hope that there is a world where mankind is just glorious because we've been perfected and sin is no more. So when we live in a world where people pee in the pool, where people are capable of gross cruelty, where individuals are capable of terror that kills and scares, here is hope of a much better world that you get to by calling upon the name of the Lord. Let me lead us in prayer together. Our Father, what a creature is humanity. How extraordinary men and women that you've created are. What wonders we can achieve in this world. Uh, and there's so much to celebrate in what you've allowed us to do, achieve, conquer, make. And we're so grateful to live in, in this century when we can see the progress over so many decades and years how wonderful are the achievements of your creatures, mankind. And yet, Father, how often these are tainted. And we see that on the, the national, the international level. We see it in our own relationships. And so, Father, would we celebrate what is good? Would we recognize that this world will never be perfect? And would we cry out you for hope for personal forgiveness and change? And cling to you for hope of a world where there is no more corruption. Father, would we call upon the name of Jesus. Amen.